Wonderful. Stay standing for a sec. We've just got a couple of stretches that we need to do as a team this morning. If everyone wants to lean on my whistle over to your left, we're going to go over. Over we go. And we're going over to the right. All right, Jolie, drop and give me 20, son. Take a seat. A little bit of fun this morning. Joel couldn't do 20, I don't think. That would be a, a push. I've got my clipboard this morning, not using a lectern. It's um, all part of the picture. <laughs> oh dear, far out. We need the Lord. Um, let's pray. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word is uh, living and active. Uh, Father, your word um, changes us. Father, your word has gone forth to change the world historically and right now and into the future. And Father, we pray that as we gather around your word this morning, Father, that the words I speak would be null and void, but the words your spirit speak would come alive in hearts this morning. Uh, So Father, I ask my voice would be turned down and your voice would be turned up in Jesus' name. Amen. Very good. Who's ever had a coach before? Hands, yeah, plenty of hands. Perhaps um, in your junior sport years you had a coach, or during high school you had a coach, perhaps a soccer coach if you were that way inclined, or a footy coach, or a netball coach, or a, an Oztag coach, coaches of many kinds in the sporting arena. Back in the day, I played soccer for the Menai Hawks, and I started out in the six A's, and it all went downhill from there. I retired at age 12, probably in the D's, where I went across to play hockey. And I was like, what, what game's that? It's kind of like soccer with a stick kind of thing. And um, I had a... I played representative level for hockey. I don't think it was very hard. I think with the amount of kids who played hockey, I think they were all reps. They all played for Sydney. It was kind of just like there's only one, comp, one team back in those days. Um, and I had a terrible coach. And I remember after one um, training session, I just left and I was so upset. I said, I'm never playing that sport ever again. I got in mum's car and I said, that's it. The coaches are so-and-so. I'm never going back. And I didn't. That was it. My, ho- my hockey career was over. It was in high school, though, that I played the gentleman's game. It's the game that they play in heaven. Thanks, Bernie. Most certainly rugby. At the time, Inabara High School didn't have much of a reputation nor history for being um, a rugby-playing school. That was until a particular team and a particular coach stepped up to the plate who would, uh, who would wrangle a mob of passionate misfits who wanted to put their school on the map for the sport of rugby. Our coach at the time was not just any coach. We called him Supercoach. And Supercoach Forrest is his name. Dave Forrest, to be more exact, Foz's uncle, to be even more true. Supercoach Dave was the perfect mix of gentleness and care and nurture, mixed with zero tolerance for rowdy, pubescent boys 
pinging on testosterone who thought they knew better than him. He knew how to crack the whip over our dissenting behinds, and he managed to forge a team that became a force to be reckoned with. We came up trumps in most of our local matches against Aquinas College um, and against John Bosco at Engadine and against Shire Christian School. That wasn't particularly hard, to be honest. The, um, that was a good rivalry going with Innerborough and the Shire Christian School. Um, we went on into another competition where we were playing the GPS schools, the greater public schools like St. Pat's and Joey's and um, eventually a team called Oak Hill, um, where we met our demise in the Greater Sydney Contest, unfortunately. However, history records that this team was one of Innerborough's finest. And I have to use that qualifier because James Forrest and I were in different teams in different eras at Innerborough, and he holds firm to the fact that their team was the best at Innerborough, but I will always maintain that it was ours. And so it is known that we were one of the best, just to keep you happy. In fact, here is a photo of the 2002 Innerborough School rugby team. If you, just in case you couldn't pick out which one was me, we thought we'd have a close-up. It's uh, in true ageing form. It kind of goes from here to here, and then it disappears apparently. So... Um, You know, coaches are not just limited to the arena. You can get rid of that. That's going to be so distracting for everybody. <laughs> They're not just limited to the arena of sports. There are coaches in music, if you've ever had a, a music coach, or at the gym in personal training, there's a, a coaching relationship there, or perhaps you've, you're in business and you've had a business coach, or perhaps in your, um, in your financial life in business or in, in your personal finances, you've had a finance coach, or um, even perhaps even a life coach. Um, usually washed up pastors go into life coaching. I shouldn't say that. Bredo's not here. That's a career... <laughs> <laughs> Coaches come in many forms, yet the role they replay, rega play regardless of the sport um, or the arena or theatre of life that they are in, there are some similarities across the board. Coaches do things like this. They develop and nurture talent and potential. Coaches seek ways to, com to gain competitive advantage over the opposition. Craig Fitzgibbon could have had a little bit of that last night for our Sharkies. Coaches arrange people in the team for maximum effectiveness. Coaches address weaknesses within a team. They bolster strengths and they leverage them for maximum impact. Coaches ask questions and they offer insights and wisdom. They develop strategies for success. They bring correction and discipline when attitudes and behaviours are not aligned to the team culture or values. Coaches build networks of support around players and around teams. Uh, everything from looking after their welfare to their careers outside of sport. They develop individual potential and team capacity at the same time. Coaches often focus, and the best ones will focus on the whole human, not just the fact that they have a talent or particular knack for playing this sport or that. I've loved watching Rocky's uh, rugby, coach, uh, rugby coach this year interact with the boys. He says, the game is only one thing. 
Becoming a young man of integrity is what we're here for. And he says, I want every one of you young boys, every time you turn up to training, the first thing you do is you shake each other's hand and you shake my hand as a sign of respect. And that is how we keep growing, not just as footballers, but as young men. I love that. I love that the coaches have this whole person kind of approach. And the more I've reflected on the role that coaches in their various forms play in their lives, the more I notice the nature of God as a kind of coach. As he prepares us, as he transforms us, and as he encourages us in our life and in our journey of faith. Now, I don't want to run the risk here and project a role or characteristic of God into the scriptures that just isn't there. I'm aware that that can happen, and I don't want that to be the case. Or a version of God that isn't faithful to the scriptures. But as we look to God's words through the lens of what we understand a coach to be, there is a lot that actually speaks to God's nature. As we see that nature outplayed in Jesus' life, and in the work of the Holy Spirit as he ministers to the church that bring to life the incredibly rich role of a coach that God plays in our lives. I'm sure Jesus' coach would have had trouble turning his notes as well. Getting a bit hot. kind of like, I was thinking the similarity of when a woman can fit back in their wedding dress 20 years down the track. And I put this on this morning and it's still kind of half-ish fit. Like, yes. This was more about object lesson. This is more about posture. <laughs> in that, I'm speaking about God as coach. However, I thought I would put on my rugby jersey this morning by way of being able to say, I am no more than you are, but I am a learner and I am a servant of Jesus, that I am on equal playing field with you, one who needs to be coached, one who needs to be prepared, one who needs to be transformed, and one who needs to be encouraged just like you do. So please don't see Coach Dave as I speak this morning. See Team Player Dave and the same team as you. If we think about Jesus and his interactions with the disciples in his personal interactions and with the crowds that gathered around him, there were moments that we can see Jesus putting on his matching tracksuit, putting a whistle around his neck, having a clipboard in his hands, coaching his people and his team toward his kingdom purposes. I mean, take Matthew 5, 6, and 7, for example. These chapters are like a pre-match locker room style pep talk that spoke to the very culture and DNA of the inverted commas sport that Jesus was bringing to the world. Now, of course, Jesus wasn't inaugurating a sport on earth, but his kingdom on earth. His game, so to speak, was to bring the reality of heaven to the present now to see the justice of God outplayed on the field of humanity, to see the peace of God break into the chaos of creation and to see the hope of God reign across 
the earth. And in these chapters, we see Jesus assembling his team. And before we get any further, it's interesting to think about what kind of tone Jesus was about to address his team with. I mean, if we think about Jesus as coach, would he be a domineering, loud and demanding coach? You know, would he be blowing his whistle? All right, you lot, now that I've got your attention, here is how things are going to work in my kingdom. Sit down, take your place, be quiet, and I will tell you how it's going to go from here. At Rocky's Rugby Grand Final two weeks ago, the coach was also the father of one of the props who was about 300 kilos and nine foot tall. Don't know how he was in the under-12s. However, the whole entire time, he just kept yelling at their kids in such demeaning ways. And even his own son, he'd be, Roy, Roy, run. Why are you running so slow? Roy, get up there. We almost became a headline that day. Roy's dad turned to all of us when we asked him politely to keep it down. This is kids' sport under 12s. He said things along the lines with many more expletives, do you want to go me? And we are on the sidelines here with this giant uh, fella ready to knock four of us flat. Would Jesus be that kind of coach? Would he have that kind of tone? Or would he be passive-aggressive? Would Jesus in his tone as a coach be sarcastic? Would he be belittling? I mean, would Jesus be the kind of coach, and these ones are a little bit frustrating as well, would he be the, don't worry about the game, kids, just have fun? (laughs) Tolerating disregard for the game in favour of watching the clouds or doing cartwheels on the field. So with this matter of tone in mind... I mean, how would Jesus speak to his team? What kind of tonality would he have in his voice? In Matthew 5 to 7, we understand to be the Beatitudes. We we know that Jesus gathered his disciples, his hand-selected, chosen-on-purpose team of 12, and he gathered them on a hillside. And Christine, you're going to love this. I can imagine him drawing them close into a huddle. Hey, guys, bring it in. I've got to tell you a couple of things. Okay, team, here's how things work in the arena of my kingdom. You can kind of see them jostling in to get a little bit closer as they get together. Here's a few foundational pieces from my father's playbook. Guys, it's the poor in spirit. It's the ones who mourn. It's the meek. The people who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's the merciful. Fellas, it's the pure in heart and the peacemaker. And even those who suffer for my name, it is... It's they who will inherit my life. Get closer, he would say. Get closer. It's those kind of players in my kingdom that will be comforted. You know, if you if you hold to these plays out of my father's playbook, it will be you who is satisfied and you who is shown mercy. It is you who will be shown, who will be called sons and daughters. You will see God and inherit his kingdom. So team, I want you to go from here. I want you to play 
the game of life. I want you to rejoice and be glad for your reward is in heaven. You guys got it? You know, a skim read through the words of Jesus following just this momentary interaction reveals more of his foundational plays and still in the huddle, still in close on the mountainside, Jesus preparing his disciples for the ministry that lay ahead of them. He spoke their identity in him. He reminded them, guys, hey, we are salt and light. Live as such. Don't forget, fight for unity within the team. Be reconciled to one another. I mean, Jesus warned them in that huddle about the things that could derail them. And he flipped the script when he told them to love the opposition and to pray for them rather than to boo them and to judge them and to hate them. What? You could, you could just see that when he said that, just the guys in the huddle going, what? That's not how, that's not how the rest of the world works, Jesus. You know, the opposition, we, we talk down about them and we curse them and we boo them when they're going to kick the ball and we celebrate when they get it wrong and you know just guys no 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 in my kingdom that's not that's not how it works we're going to love those who oppose us hey guys in this we're going to be self-giving and he taught them how to pray and in that huddle he taught them how to stay focused he reminded them not to stress And he gave them the foundations of an integral kingdom life. In fact, if you read through the Gospels through this lens of a pre-match kind of huddle, we see more of Jesus in a role of a coach and his posture and gentle tone. In Matthew 10, he gathered a team of his 12 again about to send them onto the field with the mission of proclaiming to um, all of the world around them that the kingdom of God is at hand. I'm not going to read the scripture, but in it, and we'll kind of overview a little bit, he gave them strategic direction. He said, don't go to the Gentiles. Don't go to the Samaritans. I want you to go to the house of Israel only. Now, Jesus had a strategic plan in mind. He was deliberate. He had intentions. He had plans and purposes that he had forethought. And now he was passing those same priorities onto his team. He gave them set plays, things that will typically work. Heal the sick, play one. Raise the dead, play two. I mean, no pressure, right? You know, in the footy, the set plays, just get the ball out the back of the scrum, pass it on twice, run through the thing. You know, whether you make it or not is inconsequential. Jesus set plays. I heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. You know, Matthew 10, as he's sending out the 12, he forewarned them of the opposition's tactics. He says, you'll be dragged in front of courts, you'll be flogged in synagogues, dragged before governors and the kings. He promised, though, that he'll be present with them in the grind of the game when it feels like they are on the ropes, when it feels like they are on the back foot, when it feels like they have been playing defense all match long, at such times, Jesus reminds his disciples, I will be with you and the right words will come to you by my spirit. Now, shortly after in Matthew 11, Jesus, Coach Jesus offers an amazing gift. 
a safe place to recoup and recover after the match. You know, in that huddle, sending him out, he says, you know, this, guys, this is going to be tiresome. And this is going to be tough. In fact, my mission is going to be taxing on mind and body and soul. I mean, it's a little bit different to the times where you get saved as a kid at a youth conference or whatever, and they tell you that life's going to be awesome because you're going to follow Jesus. Yeah, it will be, but it's not going to be all champagne, rainbows and unicorns. You know, Jesus didn't offer rest to us because it was going to be easy. He offered rest to us because he knows that being a follower of Jesus, particularly in a climate like we would find ourselves now, is taxing. It is arduous. It can be cumbersome and uncertain. But the promise to the disciples and the promise is to us to come back into the sheds and sit with me a while and I will show you rest. Guys, when the mission out there is so taxing, bring your beaten bodies, your exhausted minds and your depleted souls and I will renew you. I mean, imagine, you know, Jesus in that huddle sending his disciples with that yelly kind of tone. I don't want you to go to the Samaritans. I don't want you to go to the Gentiles. Just focus on the Israelites, would you? Johnny, get up and go and do your job. Why are you taking so long, you lazy sods? I mean, imagine, would, would Jesus be belittling to his disciples. Why haven't you guys got it yet, you idiots? Haven't I given you enough instructions yet? Just get out there and do it. I mean, the sarcastic Jesus, oh, you guys probably can't do it anyway. Haven't got it in yet. I've seen your records, can barely catch a fish. How do you think you're going to go and save someone? I mean, in contrast, God as our coach is humble He is gentle and he is low of heart. He not only joins his team on the field, but he sits in the sheds alongside his players, one arm on their backs as they catch their breath, not necessarily saying much, but imparting healing and refreshment as they need it. So Jesus spent a lot of time preparing his disciples, laying foundations for what life in his kingdom involves, speaking new vision for interacting with the world, recreating identities that are repurposed for his kingdom mission, bringing attention to the pitfalls and the dangers that lay ahead, instilling confidence in them that he will be with them always and that all that they need, rest included, is found in him and him alone. And God, as our coach, is passionate about our preparation. Just as a coach prepares the players of their team, God prepares us. He brings alignment to his way of life. He brings clarity of his vision for us and for his church and for how we interact with the world. He communicates a clear plan for how and where tired souls souls can find rest. He doesn't yell it and he doesn't assume it. 
He doesn't deliver it with sarcasm or with misplaced power. He is a coach who is gentle, humble, and low of heart. He is a servant, a non-anxious presence, a leader from behind, steering you and I heavenward. Beautiful. Well, once we leave the locker room, one of the greatest giveaways that Jesus is coach is that he liked to ask a lot of questions. Over the years, I've had a few coaches... I remember a few years ago chatting with a coach of mine. He lived in Melbourne and we would talk on the phone about every eight weeks or so. And during those calls, I found myself talking far more than I expected. Generally, in our phone calls, we'd exchange pleasantries and he'd often ask this question. So what would be the most helpful for us to talk about today? And my inclination was, how about you tell me, coach? You're my coach. Surely you've got something worthwhile giving to me. You know, you're a few valleys ahead in this ministry game than I am. You're asking me what would be the most helpful thing to talk about today? How about you get a proper job as a coach and do your job properly? How about that? That didn't fly. It soon became apparent to me that this coaching relationship was more than me gaining knowledge or from gleaning wisdom from somebody who is a few valleys ahead of me and more about me being on the hook, taking responsibility for my own life. At that point, if I could have used an emoji, it would have been the hand to the face one. What have I gotten myself into? Here I was thinking that I'd have a coach who would just give me a few things and, hey, Dave, go and try this and that and come back and tell me how it went. Now, instead, this gentleman would ask me questions that confronted in a really healthy way my stuff, my fears and my doubts and my attitudes and my actions and my assumptions and all of these things. And in his questioning, I was put on the hook having to take responsibility for my stuff. Over the years, Bretto has also been a coach figure in my life and perhaps for some of you in the room as well. And I, I remember times of sitting with Bretto and he'd ask a challenging or a confronting question and I would respond with, I don't know. You know, I, I mean, I couldn't even give you an example of a question, probably most of them. And I'd say, Dave, what do you think about you know, this? I don't know. <laughs> Dave, I've been noticing this. Why do you think you're doing that? I don't know. David, you know, I'm just, I'm, I'm noticing a couple of things about this and that. And, uh, can you help me, you know, understand a little bit? No, I don't know. To which Bretto would always double down. And he would ask, well, if you did know, what do you think the answer would be? <laughs> That's not how it's meant to be. Just tell me the thing. Give me the answer. Give me the next step. I don't want to play these games of having to work it out for myself. Look inwards. Try and do that thing where you've got to work on the inside bit. Just give it to me, would you? It's like, son, tell them the number. Remember the ad? I mean, there's loads I could delve into on this topic. I love questions. But here is my summary thought. I've come to learn that easy answers don't change us. Wrestling with meaningful questions do. 
It's not particularly all that insightful, to be fair. But easy answers often don't change us. Wrestling with meaningful questions do. Sometimes I think we approach God looking for the quick answer. Well, at least I do. I guess this is my jersey bit, right? I'm just perhaps just like you. Sometimes I come to a place of prayer and if God's lucky, I'll sit there for a minute and I'm hoping that in that one minute that I've given God my time that I'll get the God drop, that I'll get the clear next step, that I'll get the succinct answer that would solve all of life's problems right now and I minimise God to a vending machine. I'll put my prayer coin in expecting to get the God answer out. But it would appear to me that Jesus does not work this way, at least not all of the time. Jesus loved to ask questions. And as a coach, this is so visible in his ministry. In Matthew 16, 15, we read that many people were confused about Jesus' identity. Some people were saying he was Elijah. Others saying he was John the Baptist. Some said, oh, maybe he's Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Some believed he was a great teacher. Others thought he was just good at doing a magic show, pull a rabbit out of the hat kind of stuff. But Jesus eyes his disciples in all of this questioning and doesn't tell him who he is. What's the question he asked? Who do you say I am? Whoa. I mean, we could just probably sit there on that question for the next half an hour alone and have so much of our stuff confronted. Coach Jesus says to us this morning, who do you say I am? I mean, many people came to Jesus asking for something, a miracle, a healing, a free lunch. Jesus would often ask, do you believe? And he challenged them with this question to expose their motives. Did they want a handout or did they truly believe who he was and what he could do? In John 5, there's a story of a man who was unable to walk for 38 years. Day by day, he sat by a pool at the gate, um, a sheep gate at the entrance to Bethsaida. And Jesus walked by him one day and could tell that he'd been there for a long time. And he says to this man, do you want to be healed? And Jesus didn't just assume that he did. He didn't just walk in and say, hey, be healed. Mr. Man, you've been there 38 years. You could do with some of this. Up you get and go. Hey, hey, um, hey bud, just wondering if you, if you want to be healed. Blind Bartimaeus, we've spoken about him today. What do you want me to do for you? I mean, just a beautiful question that our coach asks us. On a rough day at sea with the disciples, he doesn't say, pull your heads in, fellas. He says, why are you so afraid? I mean, you can imagine the, the mood on the boat when he asked that question. What do you mean? Why am I so afraid? Kidding? You seen the storm? Maybe they were just getting a little bit more reflective. Actually, no, why am, why am I afraid? And maybe in our time with Jesus this week, maybe he'll ask you this. Maybe you'll ask me, hey, hey Dave, why, why are you so afraid? Oh, wow, that, those moments where the Lord would coach us with a question so deep to peel back the layers of my fears, to peel back the layers of my dreams and my hopes and my intentions, 
What an incredibly gracious and loving God who would be far more concerned with my transformation than me just getting the right answer. At one point, a clever lawyer pipes up and asks Jesus, what must be done to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, well, what does the scripture say? Again, he doesn't announce what the Bible says. Hey, what does it say? Go and have a look for yourself. After the resurrection, a beautiful moment with Peter. After Peter had denied him three times, Jesus asked him again, do you love me? In my experience of being coached and of sitting with God long enough to shut up, I've learned that at the heart of great questions is transformation. And I think God is far too gracious to give us quick answers. His heart toward us is far greater than that. My experience has been that he invites us into a relationship where he asks us questions that places us on the hook, that cause us to take responsibility for our lives, and that ultimately leads to the kind of lasting, transformational fruit he so eagerly desires to hang from our lives. Now, God, as our coach, longs to sit with us and engage us in conversation. He loves to ask us questions, to mine our hearts for our deepest intentions and motivations, to reveal and redeem our fears and our doubts, to speak life, to bring correction, ultimately to transform our hearts, our minds and our bodies, the whole of us. So I wonder what question the great coach may be asking you today. I mean, not only can we see Jesus as coach in his locker room-esque pre-match team, uh, pre-match team chats, and not only is his invitation to sit with him as he asks us questions, but the third person of the Trinity speaks potently to the nature of God as one who, like a coach, runs beside us. I promised myself this wouldn't be a three-point sermon, and you know what? It's a three-point sermon. He prepares us, he transforms us, and point three, as a coach, you'll find it out in a minute. In John 14, 17, as Jesus is at the Last Supper with the disciples, he, on one hand, is giving a kind of post-match final words from the coach moment after a few incredible years of ministry. They're sitting down, breaking bread, enjoying a meal. No doubt the storytelling would have been rich. Oh, remember when, and remember this, and oh, could you believe at the time where you healed this? And, and then how about the guys when they called down thunder and lightning from heaven and Jesus gave them a big um, size town at the back and, and you know, it's like all the stories were coming out over the dinner table. While in this meal, on the other hand, he is preparing them for his departure, which of course they did not understand. I mean, it's interesting to note here that um, just as the disciples weren't done being prepared, we are never done being prepared by Jesus for the work that he has ahead for us. Preparation is not a one-off season in our lives, whereas young people, we get discipled in the ways of the Lord in youth group, and then we grow up into big church and we've got all of the things sorted. And there's this constant dance that we do with the Lord in our relationship of preparation and transformation, and this third one, encouragement. And God, our coach, just loves to come beside us as we run. 
So in this looking back to look forward moment, Jesus has much to say and promise. John 14, 25, he says, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The Greek word for the Helper here is parakletos. This word is variously translated as advocate, helper, counsellor, comforter, consoler, intercessor. It's a word used in those days for someone who represented you in court, one who pleads another's cause, and more broadly, it meant anyone who helps or assists. It literally means one who comes alongside. From the Greek word para, meaning beside or near, and kletos, meaning one who is invited or appointed. The Holy Spirit has been appointed to be beside and be near you as you run. As we run, he runs, keeping in step. If you were here last week, this video that Avril showed of Derek Redmond at the Barcelona Olympics is one of the most powerful visuals of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives where Derek started off his race full of energy, vitality, and vision for winning this thing. He rounds the first corner, the second corner on the home stretch. Whoosh, go, off goes his hammy. Snap. You could see the emotion on his face as everyone ran off ahead of him. And here's Derek in the race of his life, limping, wounded, injured, unable to run. And I've felt that way. Perhaps you have as well. You've bursted out of the blocks with all kinds of energy for life and for vision and where you feel God's taking you and your family next only to pull a hammy around the second bend. And then we see in the video that Avril showed was somebody jump out of the stands and come and get down onto the the track. He came and nurtured and, and, and shouldered up to this man, Derek, who turns out was his father. And his father put an arm around, Derek's arm around, his shoulder and, you know, people kept coming and trying to do things and whether they were saying, you can't do this or let us give a hand, Derek's dad is, no, I've got him. No, I've got him. No, I've got him. And for the next, I don't even know how long it was, it was a 400 metre sprint, maybe a couple of hundred metres to go. His dad just kept saying, I've got him. I've got him. I've got him. And they walked and they limped and he carried them over the line. And maybe you feel like you've got out of the blocks and somewhere along the way you've pulled a hammy, sprained an ankle, pulled a heartledge and you're wincing in pain, limping toward the finish line. The promise of Scripture, my friend, is that you have one who has been appointed, not accidentally beside you, not just there by happenstance, not just there because God didn't have anything else to do, but because God himself has appointed God himself to be beside you in your race. So come what may, we will run. We're going to have a time of communion in a moment. And perhaps this is a time for you to experience the presence of God side up to you. And perhaps this is a time of Preparation for you. I'm going to invite us. I'll invite the band to come up actually and um, just play um, some music. It's what you do, I guess. Now you do heaps more than that. Far out. Sometimes. You know, perhaps this morning you need a moment with the Lord as He prepares your heart. Now maybe there's some foundational things within you that the Lord is doing. Maybe some realignment of worldview or return to what he has said in the past that maybe you've forgotten or have not believed to be true anymore and 
There's a work of preparation that he's doing in your heart for the season to come. I mean, perhaps you're in a season of transformation right now where you feel that the Lord is sitting with you in the locker rooms or in the stadiums and, you know, objectively looking at the field of your life and he's just asking quite curious questions. You know, maybe he's asking, so, hey, hey, Ange, where's this thing going? Maybe saying, hey, hey, Jolie, what do you need this week? Maybe he's saying, Carol, what are you going to cook, Dave, for dinner later on? <laughs> now, maybe God is stirring something by way of question in your heart. Now, perhaps you've had all the questions. Maybe he's got one for you this morning. So maybe the question is, God, what's your question? So we take communion this morning. God, what's your question for me? And just sit perhaps in that. Or perhaps you're in a season where you just feel like you need to be encouraged. You need the Father to shoulder up to you as you are fully cognizant of the limp that you carry, of the wound that is hurting appointed one, the appointed advocate, the appointed healer, the appointed counsellor, the appointed coach would side up right beside you and breathe words of life.